So I have to perform and do what I can to be worthy, but I felt unworthy. So there's that weird thing going on there. At the age of five, I was sexually abused by our live-in maid. By the time I went into teenage years, crazy, promiscuous, got pregnant at 19 and my dad forced me to have an abortion. Of course, I never heard the gospel, never heard anything about God. I didn't know that I was taking a life. I didn't know, you know, I just went along with whatever he said. We had some new age in our family. My dad's mom was a unity minister and all of his brothers and sisters were also unity ministers. He was the only one that was not. That kind of made me want to seek out what it was that she was doing, my grandmother. It's like I felt this call that was spiritual. It was God drawing me, but I didn't know it. You're listening to Altered Stories with Michelle Renee Gutch. Hello, Altered Story Show listeners. This is guest Michelle Saunders Gutch, your chief storyteller host. And welcome to the Altered Stories show, episode 66, Athena's Overcoming Spiritual Abuse, Finding the Faithfulness of God, God's Story. Thank you, friends, for listening to the show, and I hope you have already subscribed to it. And friends, before I introduce my awesome Kingdom Rockstar guest and new friend today, I have some crazy news to share with you. As if I don't have enough going on, I have decided to co-host a new faith-based NFL football players talk show with my friend, Teresa Blaze. And our new show is called The Blaze and Gutch Show. So if you're a football lover, you won't want to miss this new show as we discuss our favorite teams and highlight those NFL players who give God glory on the field and off the field. So look for more details about the show on my social media soon. Now, let's get today's show started. I am super excited to bring to the mic Athena Dean Holtz. I love to introduce my guest friend, so I'm going to introduce her as best as I can and give her an opportunity to share a little bit more about who she is. But she's an incredible woman of God who's bringing him glory as the founder publisher at Redemption Press. She's a speaker, podcaster. She's an award-winning podcaster of the show All Things Podcast, a pastor's wife, a mom. Her life story is a tale of search for affirmation, meaning and significance that trapped her in spiritual deception, which caused her friends to lose everything, her marriage, her family relationships, her home, her reputation, and a 20-year career in publishing after 12 years of being in a toxic and restrictive cult. Her God story is one of restoration and a love lost and found. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Now, let's meet Athena. Good afternoon, Athena. Welcome to the Altered Story Show. Thanks so much for having me on, Michelle. It's a delight to be here. Well, gal, how are you doing? And uh, just, you know, you've been crazy busy in the last three weeks, you were saying. Yes, been to Phoenix up in Prescott Pines doing three women's retreats that each one stands alone, but they're all uh, the same retreat. 
So I got to share my story three different times to three different groups of women, 600 women in total. And it was uh, exhausting, but exhilarating at the same time. Wow. So it's so good to hear that groups are meeting again, Athena. It was, it was just, uh, it was like, you know, it was just like the old days. It felt really, uh, felt good. Well, I'm so grateful you're taking the time to be here in the midst of that. And um, I'd love to just let you have the opportunity to share a little bit with my listeners around the world about who you are personally that I haven't shared is because, you know, I'm reading bio information and sometimes I, it can get rogue. I want to make sure that I'm being authentic and giving you the opportunity to really share some words of who you are personally. Well, I think um, probably what isn't on there uh, in that, on that bio is um, just the last 18 months that I have, God just opened a door and said, okay, everybody's shutting down, everybody's staying home, everybody's, you know, filled with fear. It's time to just um, do something to pour into anyone that will listen on Facebook Live. So I started with uh, every day, um, usually for about 20 to 30 minutes a day, just as whatever God showed me in my quiet time, just sharing that nothing more, nothing less, but just, you know, what was going on, what I was struggling with, how the scriptures God would give me, how I would dig deep with those and just share what I was learning. And I started seven days a week, finally got down to, okay, I can just, I can take a day off. I'll do six days a week. And then because I'm married to a pastor, Mondays are a day off. So I had to say, okay, five days a week, two days through Saturdays, and that has been going um, just on. I've actually moved it to our Redemption Press Facebook page where I do it every day at three o'clock Pacific, Tuesdays through Saturdays. And it's called The Spoken Word About the Written Word, My Thoughts on His Words. And I love doing that. I just love staying, tithing the first hour of my day to the Lord and quiet time and just seeing the scripture with fresh eyes. Wow. Now, how are you doing that? Are you, you, you say Facebook Live. So those that are participating and watching what you're sharing, is it interactive or how are you? How well, are you? It's not like it's not like a Zoom group where I can see their yeah. faces, but they come on in the chat and, you know, make comments. And I, you know, go back and forth, ask questions. They answer you know, they make comments, I read them, uh, you know, so it is as interactive as you can be on a Facebook Live. Yeah, you're, you're doing that every day? Tuesday through Saturdays, yep. So you don't have a glam squad every day? A Get glam your hair. Squad? Oh. Your hair, your makeup, your <laughs> well, what they see is what they get. And sometimes I do good with my hair, but most times I don't. Sometimes I wear a baseball cap. I kind of like those baseball caps. Me too. I just yeah. bought a new leopard one. Oh, wow. Now that sounds like you from what I've seen in your pictures and posts and seems yeah, like I, who you are. I like the animal print these days. <laughs> well, you got it going on, girl. I tell you. Well, thanks for sharing that. And Tina, I'm all about stories. You know, of course, God giving God the glory in the story. And it's about him and the transformation. But the stories are what makes us relatable. It builds connection. It brings unity. It's a different way of evangelizing in one's life. And it's personal. And, you know, Jesus was so relational. And he did a lot of storytelling. But I would like to know from your perspective, as seasoned as you are, as wise as you are, all the years and everything that you've got had in 
authoring books and publishing books and the written word and all those things. But why do you think it's so important for women and men to share their stories? Because that's the one thing people can't refute. They can't say, well, that didn't really happen. They, you know, they can argue over scripture, over what their opinion is about God and Jesus and the resurrection, but how God comes to you, how Jesus makes himself real to you, to us, and how he transforms our lives, no one can take that away from us. And so to share that in a way that others can see themselves in our story is super important. And the enemy would like to silence us. But, you know, when we're able to share our story in a way that spotlights Jesus and gives the Lord the glory, not some, anything we did or any, you know, any of that, it, God just can use that in so many amazing ways. Yes, he can. And like you said, the enemy can, he can try to keep you from going forward and sharing your story and, you know, filling your mind with, well, who cares about your story? Or do you know what this is going to mean if you share this story? And aren't you going to be embarrassed, you know, by what you're sharing? And so I think you have to kind of look at the bigger picture, like you said, and say, well, God's getting the glory. And if you're doing it for anything, share for that, right? And I'm sure that's what you've done in all the years with your story too. Well, and what's amazing about what you just said is that the enemy knows just how to silence us. He knows what we will bite on. And it's always the same. I mean, without, I mean, it just blows my mind that, you know, who do you think you are? No one's going to want to listen to you. Once they find out the real truth about you, they're never going to want to, they're going to tell everyone who you really are. I mean, the same lie. Why does he keep saying it? Because it works and it gets women to shut up and be silenced when God wants us to shout it from the rooftops. Yes. He does. And his word even says, so yeah, thank you for bringing that perspective around storytelling. And, you know, I have listeners from all around the world, Athena, and I'm sure that you have realized that in your speaking and, you know, women are women all around the world. And we now have a platform that can bring in women from different countries and different cultures. It's just so amazing. And so I like to talk with my guests a little bit before we jump in, you know, just to talk about some of their areas that they're so passionate about. And I would love for you to share with my listeners around the world why you started a publishing company. You know, why why did you do that? And why was that so impressed on your calling? Well, the first time I did it was just one of those, you know, people just started asking, can you help me with my book? Because we had just uh, published a book for our ministry to Vietnam veterans and their family members back in the late 80s. So it really wasn't like I had a plan to do this. It was just something that God worked and now after losing everything and, and saying, oh, I guess maybe my new career is going to be radio. And I had a radio show in Texas and I loved it and I uh, thought I was going to do that for the rest of my life. God said, no, you're coming back to Washington and, and I want you to start something new to help all these authors because you need to give them a voice. And how could I, how could I say no? It was something that I know it's in my gifts and callings. I know the industry. I know the pitfalls. I know how to warn people to not bite on different things that are thrown out there that sound really good, but they're not really good. You know, it's just been one of those things that I look back and I just see God's faithfulness and his character that's displayed in Romans 8, 28. He uses all things together for good 
for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And in publishing, that's a perfect way when you tell a redemptive story, that is God working all things together for good. And that just gives him so much glory. It does. I love the name of your publishing company too. Redemption Publishing, right? Redemption Press. Press. Okay, I got to remember that. What's it like to be a pastor's wife? Well, I wouldn't say I'm the norm because I had a business when we got married and that, and my business, while it's very ministry themed and it is, you know, more ministry than anything else, it's still a business and I still carry the responsibility for, of, you know, making sure my 20 team members all get paid and things work smoothly and we work out problems and we you know, have a team that prays for each other and really serves their, our authors. And it has, you know, it's not your norm. I mean, I'm not at church working in children's ministry or playing the organ, you know, that I don't have the, the standard pastor's wife gig going on, but you know, I just uh, know that my husband's, he's been at this church as founding pastor for 35 years. And my job is to support him and do whatever he needs me to do. And that's usually just praying and being part of our life group together. And, you know, when I'm in town, being at church and being there to, to serve our, our people. Cool. What's it like to be living in your part of the country? I mean, you're in the Northwest, right? Yeah. What's it like these days? Well, it's, you know, it's a very liberal state and it's the least churched uh, state in the country. And, you know, I just, there's uh, so much going on around me and I just am so focused on God and just trying to be obedient to what he's telling me to do. I don't get all wrapped up in the politics and all the stuff with the, you know, Seattle thing that they had downtown. I mean, I'm just where we live. It's a very small community that is very, more conservative compared to the rest of the state. So we kind of are in this little bubble here in Enumclaw, which is kind of cool because it's more like living in Arizona or Florida where, or, or Texas, where it's just more. Yeah. More you know, that pop. way. Yeah. yeah. And is the co- how's the COVID there? We, our little town has just been very, uh, you know, we're not freaking out about it. We're, if, Yeah. The consensus is, you know, if you're uncomfortable being around us without our our masks on, we'll put them on. Yeah. Yeah. That that should be that way. And we give give people a choice at our church. We give them the choice. They're going to wear a mask or not, you know. Cool. Okay. Well, I just thought it'd be kind of interesting for my listeners to learn a little bit about you there. You have a podcast too. And it's called All Things Podcast. Why did you call it All Things Podcast, Athena? <laughs> because the scripture says in Romans 8, 28, that he works all things, not just some things, not just the good things, but even the bad things together for good. And so I know there's there's quite a few different podcasts that use the all things, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, it's always good. And I know that uh, we're going to talk a little bit later about how people can reach out to you. But now we're going to move forward with your God story. And I think this is a good time. And so I ask my guests, because this is the part of the podcast and the story is the blessing, the huge blessing. Um, But I would like, to have you share with my listeners where you're overcoming spiritual abuse, finding the faithfulness of God, God's story began. Well, I'm going to start setting it up with my uh, growing up years only because what happened during that time in my life kind of set me up for that spiritual abuse, all those, uh, years in the future. Basically, I was 
a wild child, strong-willed child, drove my mother crazy. All she could ever say is, why can't you be like your older brother, who is compliant and perfect and quiet and all the things I was not. And so her, just her inability to mother me well and connect with me and nurture me definitely left some feelings of unworthiness and not really feeling like there's something wrong with me because she didn't like the way I was. She wanted me to be like someone else, my brother. Basically, I uh, had a dad who was uh, hugely successful, went from knocking on doors with Encyclopedia Britannica to the executive vice president of sales, made a million dollars his best year in the late 60s. So I mean, that's probably four or $5 million now, you know, his thing was he just always had his uh, camera where he was filming me with this big bank of white lights above it. And whether I was riding horses or I was swimming in the pool or I was coming down the stairs for Christmas, that camera was on me all the time. And he, he was, you know, I mean, it's not like he said it, but he was looking for performance. And so, you know, I have this dichotomy of something's wrong with the way you are, with the way God made you. So I have to perform and do what I can to be worthy, but I felt unworthy. So there's that, that weird thing going on there. At the age of five, I was sexually abused by our live-in maid. By the time you know, I went into teenage years, crazy, you know, promiscuous, crazy, crazy, got pregnant at 19. And my dad forced me to have an abortion. Of course, I never heard the gospel, never heard anything about God. I didn't know that I was taking a life. I didn't know, you know, I just went along with whatever he said. We had some new age in our family. My dad's mom was a unity minister And uh, all of his brothers and sisters were also unity ministers. He was the only one that was not. And that kind of made me want to seek out what it was that she was doing, my grandmother. And because I, it's like I felt this call that was spiritual, but I didn't know it was God drawing me, but I didn't know it. And I didn't know how to quantify it. I mean, I went to church with my um, cousin's midnight mass. That was about my, that was my exposure to church at Christmas time, midnight mass. So I'm thinking, well, the only way I can love God is to be a nun. (laughs) Well, so that was, I was done with that when I figured, you know, when I made that assumption, I went into uh, from new age to Scientology to other new age practices. I was just hungry, I had that God-shaped hole and I kept looking, but I was looking in all the wrong places. And my first marriage was physically abusive. I had never been around men who beat up women. So when it first happened and I got a black eye, it was just the weirdest, like, what is this? It just was not in my reality. I mean, some Girls grow up seeing that in their family. I didn't see that, but that lasted four years. Um, He broke my arm while I was nursing my six month old. And that was kind of, okay, this is, this is it. I'm out of here. And, you know, jumped into another marriage. So this was in the midst of being in Scientology, jumped into another relationship and really didn't know anything about this guy. He was a Vietnam veteran struggling terribly with post-traumatic stress and you know but it was like my friend introduced me to him and said whatever you do don't fall for that guy and I took that as a challenge (laughs) I know I know it was you have to remember the wild child strong-willed child going on here because there's no you're not alone there's many out there (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh I kind of forgot to mention one little key piece is my dad led a double life and he had a girlfriend on the side. He was, he was a womanizer for many years. I found out until he met this one flight attendant who he had a long, long relationship with where he would 
bounce between being with her and being with my mom. And nobody knew about it until I was about 18. So there's this double life thing, the shallow thing going on, this, you know, just want, I just wanted to be like my dad. I didn't want to be like my mom because she didn't like me. So I didn't want to be like her, but I wanted to be like him successful. So that was kind of the model for me that I went after. So at uh, probably mid twenties to early thirties, I began um, a very successful companies that um, grew and, you know, I was very successful. I then uh, in my second marriage uh, moved into insurance and mutual funds as a product services that, that the company I joined was involved in. And I was absolutely, I didn't know it at the time, but with all the trauma in my life, I was self-medicating with work because that gave me, you know, it made me oh, feel yeah. good. I oh, was yeah. performing. I was doing the things that my dad had been doing, performing and making a lot of money and being successful. So here I think that I have arrived basically at age 33. I mean, I was at a point at 33 where I was flying high. I was a senior vice president, one of the few women in this male dominated industry. I was about ready to get another promotion when my husband had been involved in some fundraising that because he didn't think you really needed to pay taxes or have a driver's license or do any. He was kind of rebellious in those ways and joined a, a group that was um, kind of a John Birch Society Freeman movement where, you know, the only real money is gold and paper money is funny money. And just, I mean, he was off on this thing and he got in trouble with the state. And I didn't know that he wasn't filing the correct documents as he raised funds and making sure the charity division knew about it. But because I was married to him, I was guilty by association when he got in trouble. And so that was it. We're done. End of story. We're done being married. A week later, I came home and he was a different person. And I found out that he had prayed with one of our managers in the insurance and securities business. And just on a lark, he said, well, okay, I've never tried Jesus before. I'll try him. And he was radically saved, completely different person. And I, at this point, I mean, I was just like my dad. I was a God hater. He was a God hater. I was a God hater. I thought Christians were wimps. I didn't need Jesus as a crutch. I was making all this money and I did not need any of that. Of course, you know, I have a trail of, of just, you know, horrible relationships and, you know, I mean, my personal life isn't great, but I'm a success, right? Or so I told myself. Yeah. So about three days later, I mean, I was still, I don't care how much you've changed, we're done. He asked, he came and asked me, can we try again? And I mean, out of my mouth came well, I guess we can try again. And I'm like, look behind me. Who said that? Like, I did not want to say that at all. And so all of a sudden I'm like, oh dear, we're going to try again. Now he's one of them. He's one of those Christians. That means I'm going to need to be one of them if we're going to stay married. So what does that look like? And my manager in the insurance company gave me uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. That's a good book. Well, I don't remember a thing that I read. I mean, this is 35 years ago. I don't remember a thing that I read. All I remember is halfway through, I just started bawling, realizing I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And, you know, it just, God just completely drew me to himself. My manager, I called him and I said, well, I guess I need to say this prayer. I don't know what to just what, tell me what to do. And so he said, he said, you know, led me in that prayer. And I have to say at this point in my life, I've been in Scientology for about seven years. The culture in Scientology is you smoke a lot of cigarettes, you drink a lot of coffee, you drink a lot of alcohol and you cuss like a sailor. 
That is the culture. No kidding. I mean, my language was every other sentence was an F-bomb. And that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> I've never heard that. Yes. <gasps> yes. Wow. And so <laughs> when I prayed with him, God completely cleaned my mouth out. It was like Holy Spirit mouthwash. Boom. That was completely wiped away. So it was a miraculous salvation experience. It really was. However, I was like, okay, good. I said that prayer. Now I'm good. Now I can just keep going with my life and keep focusing on making money and being successful and all, you know, I didn't really surrender. I was saved, but I was shallow. And because of that, and us, uh, we ended up maybe about six months in, I realized, okay, I need to help him with this ministry that he had fallen into with for Vietnam veterans and their family members called Point Man Ministries. So I pretty much, and this was right around the time I had prayed, learned to pray a prayer that's, that asked God, God, show me my heart as you see it, not as I see it, because I see it. I'm doing good, right? Well, he doesn't exactly see the same thing. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it, right? All of a sudden, I realized I had not surrendered. I was like, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth. I forget heaven. I just, you know, okay, I'm not going to hell, so I'm good. And that was, you know, a huge change for me to realize, okay, I need to repent. And I need, so this was when the sanctification started to kick in and the surrender happened. And then I, um, you know, move into helping him with the ministry. So I went from being uh, a workaholic business owner to being a workaholic ministry leader. Not a good idea. Number one, brand new Christian, jumping into full-time ministry. You know, I walked away from my big money because I felt that was what God was asking of me. But, um, you know, I never really learned the difference between scripture in context and out of context. I mean, there was so much, my foundation was not solid. So uh, we ended up publishing a book for Vietnam veterans that led me into publishing that led me into uh, speaking at all these Christian writers conferences about how to independently publish with excellence and, you know, all this, all the stuff, just teaching on that. And um, so while I was saved, I was vulnerable. And what, what we discovered, even though I'd started this publishing, my husband and I um, founded Wine Press Publishing, which mm -hmm. was really the first. Oh, very popular publishing right. company. Yeah. The very first credible kind of self-publishing company that acted more like a traditional publisher. And right around this time that we started that, I was working with the Vietnam veterans and their wives on PTSD triggers. What does this look like when you have PTSD and, you know, how does it affect you? And when, what do you, what can you do if your husband's having a flashback and, you know, all those things? Well, it's kind of in the middle of it. I'm like, well, wait a second. They don't have a corner on the market. Any of us females, wives of these veterans, we all had complete pasts littered with trauma. So we had our own triggers and our own adrenaline uh, causing us to fight or flee and causing us to react badly, not like a Christian when we got triggered. So that turned into um, a huge kind of what I call a heavy revy um, because it was like, whoa. And what God showed us during that time is that if we have not allowed God in to heal that trauma, which Christians are not real good about doing that because we like, you know, we're saved by the blood. We're a new creation. We don't need, don't look back. Well, if it's still a wound, and not healed, it's not a scar, 
we're, we're, we're not doing the right thing by not allowing him in. And I kept thinking, you know, our wounds are controlling us and that does not seem right. God's supposed to control us, not our wounding. So I, I kind of realized that. And then all of a sudden I looked up the scripture, um, Psalm 147, verse three, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Well, I looked in the Hebrew concordance to try and figure out what the root word was for wounds. And this was a showstopper. It said right there in the Hebrew concordance, wounds, at stabeth. So that was the Hebrew word. It is an idol. Mm. Whoa. I'm that like, is. Oh my gosh. This is like the spiritual issue that is happening. We knew the PTSD was the mental health issue and the emotional issue and the physical issue was the fight or flee, the adrenaline, the triggers. This was like the key, like, whoa, because even the devil does not care if we are committing idolatry unknowingly or if we do it knowingly. He's going to take advantage of that because it's opening the door to him. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I was just repenting all over the place. Lord, forgive me for my idolatry. You know, we were sharing this with the women. And, you know, even if you don't know that that's what it is, that's what it is. So let's all repent and then let God do his work in our lives, which I said for others to do, but I did not practice what I preached. And because I did not let God in to heal all of that stuff, I continued to self-medicate with work that led me to being vulnerable. And so eight years into publishing, we ended up publishing a book for uh, someone who called himself a pastor and his wife. And it turned out not only was he a narcissistic sociopath, but he was a false shepherd. And uh, what he actually had created was, of course, I didn't see it till 13 years later, but it was a cult. And it was a very works-based cult. And, but it was presented in a way that like, we have a corner on the market. We are on the narrow road and everyone else is on the wide road. And so it appealed to my pride, just like all the new age stuff, Scientology, all those things appeal to my pride as well. So we ended up publishing for him, but that turned into basically when my husband said, this guy's off, his doctrine is bad. When my husband said that they turned me against him and got me to say, shame on you. You don't love God, you know, and And basically they got me to divorce him in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Honestly, I can relate to what you're saying. Yeah. I can relate from what I saw my mom. Yep. There's, there are scriptures that can be taken out of context Mm -hmm. and used to justify that. And he got me to not talk to my kids for 12 years. Their idolaters have nothing to do with them. He got me, I mean, he manipulated, he and his wife manipulated me into basically giving them my publishing company, my 20 year old $3.5 million publishing company, thinking I was doing God. I was blessing God by doing that. And it was not until almost 13 years after we brought them in as authors that I realized, oh my gosh, I have been taken again. I had been duped with Scientology. I had been duped again by this Christian, quote unquote, pastor, quote unquote, air quotes. (laughs) I walked away from that. I lost everything. I mean, my house, I couldn't, the minute that they got control of the company, they cut my, my um, salary in half. So I couldn't even pay my mortgage payments. Uh, I mean, by the time I left, they had me on minimum wage, cleaning toilets, you know, dusting the office, dumping trash, but no discipline seems pleasant at the time. So I've got to learn from this. I got to learn from this so that I can grow. You know, I mean, they use that scripture to justify 
abuse. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So when I walked away and I was pretty much, if this is who God is, I don't want him. And I sat down with a lawyer who went through the sale contract of the um, company. And he just said, this is fraud. It's a scam. Fraud, 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 fraud. And while I was shocked, I was relieved because that meant they were not representing God. Yes. I thought who God was, was not who God was. And they were liars and they were evil and they were not representing the truth. They were using God's name to manipulate and control and shame and shun. And I was vulnerable to it because why? Because I had not allowed God into those places to heal me. Yeah. So, and that's so important. Listeners, listen to what she's saying. It's so true. So I went through, you know, really a couple years of counseling and just figuring out every lie that I believed and what the actual truth was. Um, I, I would say the biggest defining moment for me was when I said, Lord, what was wrong with me that I would believe a lie is the truth and give up everything for it? I can point at them and say what they did was wrong. And it's true. What they did was wrong. But the truth is I played a part. I just said, show me, show me what was wrong. Number one, my unhealed wounds left me vulnerable. I mean, I disobeyed him. He gave me that truth. And then I didn't, I told everyone, I didn't practice what I preached. I told everybody else to do it and I didn't do it. So that was number one. Number two, I had no foundation. I jumped right into full-time ministry, never stopped when I became a Christian and said, okay, what about this unhealthy lifestyle that I live of being a type A workaholic, never slowing down and being quiet, never learning about that because I did not understand scripture in context that that's the way you have to read it. I was easily manipulated with scripture completely out of context and didn't even know it. I thought this guy knew so much about the Bible when it turned out, no, he just used it to manipulate people. So that was the second thing. Then the third thing he showed me was there were all sorts of red flags, but I ignored them because I don't like conflict. I avoid conflict because I want people to like me. And then he showed me that I wasn't trusting him. I wasn't trusting God. This this pastor and his wife were going to print like 5,000 books. And it was a big ticket. It was a big order for us. And I already figured out all the places where I was going to pay these different bills. Had it all figured out. So when the editor came to me and said, don't do this. Don't publish this. I just completely ignored her. And said, well, you just, you, you know, because here in one ear, they're telling me, well, anybody who, who goes against this, they just don't really love God. They just love themselves. So I'd already been groomed to hear that. So, you know, realizing, okay, I had to own my part of, the, of this deception. I did not pay attention to the red flags. I did not ask the hard questions. I, you know, I didn't trust God to provide some other client and kick this guy to the curb, which is what I should have done. So long story short, basically after all of those realizations, that just made my healing process of all that I'd been through, just it really accelerated at that point because I took ownership. I did not play the victim card. I took ownership for my part. Yes, what they did was wrong but I had a part to play and that just moved me toward healing in just unbelievable ways. I ended up going back to church after a few, two or three months of counseling. I went back to church. The pastor's wife pulled me aside after about two months and said, you know, I told Ross, if anything ever happens to me, he needs to marry you. And I'm like, what? Because I mean, I hadn't been on a date at that point in 13 years. And I 
was pretty whiny about it. And I used to sit there in services and look at him on the stage and go, God, can I have somebody like, like him? Yeah. Like him. Yeah. Life. He's not a flirt. Aww. You know, he's uh, vulnerable. He's transparent. He's humble. Can I have someone like him? So she said that to me and it kind of freaked me out. But I ended up going to Texas and helping my brother, uh, the brother that I was supposed to be like with our mom who had Alzheimer's and spent some time, got a chance to lead her to the Lord, which was completely miraculous because usually Alzheimer's, there's no, but there was a little window there where God gave her lucidity so she could hear what I was saying. So I was there to help him with her. And then while I was there, Kathy, the pastor's wife, high school sweetheart, they'd been together 49 years. She got uh, cancer. Three months later, she was gone on her deathbed. She made a list of the five women he could even, though these are the only ones you can even consider getting married to. And I was at the top of the list. She told all the kids, don't you give your papa a bad time. You just support him. So it's a long story, but we ended up getting married and we've been married seven and a half years. And it turns out 13 years before we had our first date, they had purchased a new, it was a used 30 year old, old sailboat. And they named, gave it a new name, but the original name was still embroidered in the curtains down below. Athena. Oh my gosh. Whoa. (laughs) That is such, oh my God. How prophetic. You can't make that stuff up. No. Oh my gosh. That is so incredible, Athena. And how God just paved the way for you to marry him and for it to be all okay. My ex-husband who had already remarried, you know, I asked for his forgiveness. I've reconciled with all my kids. I mean, now I'm back in publishing. I mean, that's a whole nother story, but God just redeemed everything the enemy stole. Well, I'll tell you what, that is so inspiring and encouraging. And, you know, you hit on a point that's so profound and that's called surrender. You know, it's so hard to get to that point of total surrender. And if you can learn that earlier on, it's much easier, totally. but it, but each of us have to go through, you know, our journey differently and we're all different personalities and, you know, it takes a long time sometimes to get to that point, but I'm so grateful that you did because selfishly I'm so happy that you've come into my life and you're who you are and you're on this show and you're doing so many wonderful things and you're able to bring to light you know what was in the darkness and how you came through that with God's help and the healing piece is so important you know, too. So I really thank you. I mean, I wish we had more time to talk on this. I mean, there's so much here, but you did an incredible job of sharing your big story. You know, I mean, there's a lot that transpired. And so I'm really grateful you covered all those areas that I was going to ask around the transformation, the scriptures, the healing, How did God use others to help you? What was significant? So I guess in closing, um, can you just share with my listeners, Athena, how can others reach out to you? Because you're so inspiring in doing so many different things, but how can others contact you? They want you to speak. If they want to, you know, reach out about you helping them write their book, publish their book you know, podcast info, you know, any, anything that you'd like to share. 
All right. Best place to find all of that is on my personal website, athenadeanholtz.com. And uh, there's a link there to Redemption Press. If you have a manuscript you'd like to find out more about or an idea you want to write, there's a link on there for my All Things podcast and for my uh, Redeemed and Restored uh, YouTube channel, which is also a podcast. And uh, my speaker information's on there. So I just love to serve however I can. Well, so I'll be praying for you, Athena, as you continue to. And you, you know, I know your story like mine and others is continuing, right? We continue on. And um, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time and sharing your story. And before I close with my final words, is there anything else that you want to leave with the listeners? Just ask God to show you his purposes for your pain. Because a lot of times we get so wrapped up in the pain, we don't see how he might want to use it to reach out and provide comfort to others. Yes. And, you know, it's really comforting for me to know that there's another person who went through some of what was similar to what I saw my mom go through and what our family encountered. And, and it's healing too, for me to see how God took your life and turned that around. I know there are others and how God is using, he uses these things when we surrender, right? <laughs> and we really put him on the throne and we're really serious about it. So it's really profound. So thank you again for being here, for sharing And I love seeing all your pictures of you and your husband and your adventures. And I'm just really looking forward to what God has ahead and continues to have ahead for you. And until the next show, friends, be heard and be healed. Altered Stories Ministry is a faith-based, nonprofit, and women's evangelistic storytelling ministry located in Overland Park, Kansas. If you enjoyed listening to today's story, your family and friends would probably benefit from hearing how God works in the lives of women all over the world, too. So please, subscribe to our show and share the link to this podcast. Share it on your social media. We also welcome your valued feedback on our stories. Also, we'd appreciate your prayerful consideration in sponsoring one of our future God-glorifying stories and welcome your tax-exempt financial donation. To find out more on how you can support our ministry, you can log on to our website at www.alteredstories.org.